Welcome to Terminal Talk, a podcast on mainframe and mainframe-related topics. I'm Frank. I'm Jeff. And we have with us a guest all the way from Charlotte. We, we go all around the world to get the best people. Ann Dames, who is an STSM in the crypto firmware area. Hello. Hi, how are you? Great. Good. Uh, what do you do in crypto firmware? Uh, crypto firmware, what an interesting question. <laughs> I have the opportunity to work on IBM's hardware security module. It's the 4760X and Crypto Express family of, of cryptographic coprocessors. And so my team writes the firmware and host software that are used um, by application developers to get access to the cryptographic services that are on the card. So they're able to do data privacy kinds of services like data encryption and decryption, uh, digital signature generation, financial services, things like that. And um, how is this different from, say, like microcode? Well, a firmware... There's, there's there's two pieces that we work on. We work on the host API, so there's that piece of it that sits on the host. Then you'll have a device driver, and then inside of the crypto adapter itself, there's multiple levels of firmware or software that runs on the card itself. So can you kind of explain, because we were talking about this um, in our last episode, we were talking a little bit about how I can have multiple um, guests using that same card. Mm -hmm. How do you manage the to keep separate the the identities and the keys associated with each of them. Okay. With every Crypto Express card, we have this concept, which is called domains. And domains allow you to have separate instances of the HSM available to you. So it's almost like you have a virtual HSM that maps to each individual domain. So an LPAR can be mapped to a specific domain, and everybody that's using that specific domain will have its own set of master keys, and those master keys will protect the operational keys that that specific user will have access to. So for each domain, you can have a separate master key, a separate domain, and that's how they keep things separate. And, and you mentioned HSM. What, what is that? Oh, HSM stands for Hardware Security Module, and that's the name that is given to our crypto express card in industry. That's what they call it. And these run across the different platforms, right? Like there's a, a ZHSM, there's a, I believe there's an Intel. H yeah. So yes. do you work on across all of them? Or? That's right. I do. I do. We have the actually the, the same hardware security module or HSM that goes into each of the specific platforms that you might think about. So it goes in the Z platform. It goes in the cognitive or power platform and also in x86 servers. And we can go in any x86 server that actually meets the environmental and hardware requirements that are needed for the adapter to be used in that environment. Some testing has to be done, but <laughs> <laughs> see, you mentioned like uh, signatures and fingerprinting and all that kind of stuff for um, uh, for the functions that it can do. Do, do what uh, does HSM handle asymmetric key operations as well? Yes, it does. It handles both symmetric and asymmetric operations. It also does hashing. So there, are, you you think about the HSM. You think about cryptographic primitives. And what I mean by cryptographic primitives are basically the individual building blocks that are used to build secure protocols and secure schemes. For example, when people use TLS, they may specify what's called a 
cipher suite, and that cipher suite will indicate specific kinds of crypto primitives. Well, if someone is writing an application, they can use the Crypto Express card to get access to the same kind of primitives that one might specify if one was using a different kind of, um, you know, a higher level protocol. Are the the APIs the same across all the different platforms? They're close. <laughs> <laughs> We have a set of APIs that are very, very similar. Um, there's only slight variations because on the Z platform, there's additional things that are supported that are not supported on the distributed platforms. But for the distributed platforms, they all have the same API. And there's a slightly different firmware load that is used for um, the, um, the, the Z platform. So what is the uh, the current state of the art for uh, for cryptography? Like what should somebody be familiar with in order to be kind of caught up to date? Like is is elliptical key something that's that's there? Well, you know, it's it's interesting because we're at an inflection point in cryptographic technology. Um, as you may have heard and, and you, you see in industry and in, in research papers, people are talking about quantum computing. And IBM has a major investment in IBM Q. And so with that... Quantum computing brings into um, into view an entirely different set of cryptographic capabilities. And one of the things that's going to be a challenge in the future is that some of the algorithms that we have been using in our traditional systems is now going to be vulnerable to attacks by quantum computers. And so that's a big thing that's being researched and talked about right now, looking at schemes to mitigate those kind of attacks which can come from quantum computers. Right. And how do, how do we not spend all of our compute cycles just encrypting and decrypting and actually doing business work here? Well, <laughs> it's, it's an interesting thing. There, when you think about what's needed, basically you'll have an application that has specific requirements. And there are a lot of standards that people need to comply with. Like if you're in the payment card industry, you'll need to comply with payment card industry standards. And, and basically that tells you how you're supposed to handle data, how you're, what you're supposed to protect, what you don't need to protect, things like that. So people can craft their cryptographic um, um, applications to meet their needs. So depending on what you're doing, you may need a lot of compute power and maybe not so much. You, you've been talking a little bit about um, all these different standards. Do mm -hmm. they kind of come to you and say, okay, this is the standard you code to it or, or do we spend some time kind of driving that? We, it's, it's an interesting thing. It's almost like a partnership and it's almost like having a seat at the table. Basically, um, depending on what industry you're in, you may need to follow different standards. And oftentimes, IBM has representation at those specific meetings where those decisions are being made. So we get the opportunity to influence what the standards um, ultimately become because we want to make sure we have the best solutions out there. And we also want to make sure that we have solutions that our clients will be able to consume in a very user-friendly kind of way. So there are times when we have input into the standards and times when we may not have as much. And there's another group that might be driving the agenda. But we do have the opportunity to be at the table and have input into a lot of standards that are um, coming about. So you've got all these operations going on. Obviously, crypto is – it's uh, – ever more important every single year. 
uh, and it's it's you know considered a, a munition. You know, it's, it's something that can be weaponized. It has export restrictions, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. This is kind of like a, a, a soft question, but how do you ensure like accuracy and and, and tamper proof, like at, at that amount of bandwidth and, and that low level? Well, it's interesting. Our crypto um, adapter meets certain requirements. And basically, we have a FIPS 140-2 Level 4 certification. And that certification ensures that a product like ours, the hardware security module, does handle data and operations securely in a tamper-proof kind of way. There's a lot of testing that has to go on in order for us to get that level of certification. And so with that, there's a lot of great engineers that work on the hardware and the firmware and go through the entire process of vetting to make sure that our operations are secure and they're accurate because you're absolutely right. When a cryptographic operation it is not handled correctly or not performed correctly, then the card needs to throw an error. You know, something needs to happen so that the owner of that data can know that something has gone wrong or something has not gone according to plan. And there's some pretty interesting tests for these cards too, like like slowing down the clock cycles and you know, trying to slide one out, I guess, very slowly or something like <laughs> oh, that. Oh, yes, yes, yes. There, there's physical kind of testing that's done. I mean, they x-ray the cards. There's, there's sound chambers. There's drop tests. There's all kinds of things that happen to make sure that, um, you know, the card is, is tamper-proof. Because if someone is able to get inside of the card, then they may be able to get access to what's called the master keys. The master keys are what are used to protect all the operational keys that people might have. And so anytime there's a tamper of any kind, then you want to make sure that tamper situation is handled in the right way. And in some situations, if the card is tampered, kill it. It dies. Nothing else coming out of the card. Has anybody tried walking up to one and just saying uh, a crypto card says what? (laughs) (laughs) Nope. Add that to the test suite. No. (laughs) No. Not so much. Not so much. Not so much. So there's a couple of things that you said that, um, you know, I I don't get. So first of all, what is FIPS? Uh, FIPS is a standard. It's a government standard that determines what the requirements are for products like hardware security modules. There's an organization, um, it's a federal standard, so if you want to use a, a device like this that protects data, you have to comply with that kind of standard. And basically, it's a, it's a think of it as a specification that outlines various components or various um, uh, capabilities that a specific card must have, certain things that it must meet, certain requirements that it must meet. And so you take it through the certification process, which means you get an organization outside of IBM to verify that we have done everything that that standard says. And if we've done everything that that standard says, then we get our lovely little Crypto Express version and name put up on a website that says this specific um, product has passed the FIPS certification. So when I encrypt stuff and I'm using a particular card and then Jeff comes along and, you know, breaks it, mm-hmm. um, am I stuck? Do I – because you said the key is mm-hmm. on that card. Mm-hmm. 
So what happens to my data? Well, see, let me back up because there's there's the master key that is on that card. Your operational keys are stored outside of the card. And so there's there's a situation where you always kind of want to have like redundancy. You want to be able to back up your master key because your master key controls and protects all the other keys. So if something should happen to your crypto card, okay, and your master key is there and your master key has been used to protect other keys, what you need to do is get another crypto card and then load that master key into the new card. And when you do that, that key that you have stored on the outside, it can now be used to recover or decrypt that data that was encrypted by the old card. Okay, so the the, the master key... Um wasn't born there. It just lives there. It lives there. And now there's there's a couple of ways that master keys can be created, okay? The, the, the main way that people do this is the thing about it, the master key is so important that it is – it's there are security policies around how you even create the master key. You have to create it sometimes under what's called dual control, where one person has one part of the master key and another person has another part of the master key. And they go through what's called a key ceremony to bring those two key, those two parts together and load them into the car so that now you have one operational key. One part doesn't know what the other part is, but they come together in that ceremony and you have the operational master key that is used to protect the other keys in the system. Sounds like something in like a Hunt for Red October <laughs> submarine movie where they crack open those red cards. Right? That's, it's, it's almost like that. It's oh, almost man. like that because you have to have somebody that you, you, you don't want to have someone that knows you know both parts of it. You, you want to do that kind of thing under dual control. That's just to protect from insider kind of attacks or in, in, insiders having too much information about what's going on in your crypto express because that really is um, a, a significant um, – security relevant data item the master key is frank's just wondering if there's cake at the ceremony yeah, exactly. <laughs> what happens at the ceremony oh, well. party heads <laughs> it, is it is it a specific religion is it dance? <laughs> you talked a little bit about how things are going to have to change mm-hmm. as we get to quantum i'm a little bit confused about this because it seems to me that um, the the whole point of quantum is to do things um, in a much faster way, mm-hmm. right? Um, is it that the the math needs to be more complex or how, how does this work? Okay, let's talk about that a little bit because I don't want to give you the impression that quantum is bad because quantum is not bad. There's going to be a lot of amazing technology and amazing research that's going to be able to be done to solve serious problems that we have today using quantum computers. The only problem is there's the bad guys and the bad guys always want to use something in an inappropriate way. And why do people, you know, rob banks? That's where the money is. Mm -hmm. So basically what you wind up having is a situation where you're going to need to protect your assets and your data from someone who might try to use a quantum computer to maliciously attack you or to steal your assets. That's where you wind up being in in a situation in that way. Does does that answer your question? It it starts. Go ahead. What, what, What I'm trying to understand is 
the oh. whole point of of how we do cryptography mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. we use math yes. to describe stuff. Yes, yes. So how do I stop that if the if the base can be figured out using a quantum computer? Okay, what you need in that case is right now we have what we consider a set of traditional crypto algorithms. And, and you're right. The, the security of the cryptographic algorithms that we have is based on the difficulty of solving certain math problems, factoring, um, logarithm, discrete logarithm, things like that. And so when you go to a quantum computer, you're going to have new quantum algorithms. And these new quantum algorithms are used to break the traditional algorithms that we currently have. And so what you want to be able to do is make sure that the algorithms that we use in our traditional computers, you switch to something that's considered quantum safe, something that is no longer vulnerable to attack by a quantum computer. But but does that is is the algorithms are more complex or they're different they're different they're based on solving different hard problems some there's there's different um, uh, different algorithms that are based on different kinds of um, problems like some of the problems are like hashing you've got hash based quantum safe algorithms you've got um, uh, algorithms that are based on geometry which is like the lattice based cryptographic algorithms you've got the um, algorithms that are multivariant algorithms, which are based on solving a series of equations with multiple variables. There's different kind of hard math problems that are considered to be difficult for both the quantum computer and a traditional computer. So it's just a different set of problems that you are solving with, um, that you're getting your cryptographic strength from. Right, uh, Chad Rickensrud, a uh, world-famous mainframe hacker, said <laughs> something a couple of years ago that is kind of stuck with me. Uh, he said that the, the minute you invent a better shovel to hide your secrets, that same shovel becomes available for someone else to dig up your secrets. <laughs> so I'm, uh, if, if it, uh, I'm wondering if, if quantum um, computing is tips the hat more in the encryption or decryption side for, I guess – I guess it comes down to which algorithms you're using. Okay, yeah, it does. It matters which algorithms you're using because there's – think of the – there's two different kinds of sets of algorithms. There's symmetric algorithms where you use the same key to do the data encryption and the decryption, symmetric. And then there's asymmetric algorithms in which there's a relationship between the two keys to perform the operation that you're doing. So it's the asymmetric algorithms that are really the ones that are completely broken by the quantum – algorithms that can be that are being developed there's two in particular that are um, that are used to break our traditional crypto and one of the things that we are aware of is that for encryption algorithms if you use AES which is an encryption method um, that uses a 256-bit key that is considered to be quantum safe if you use something that's weaker than that then you have or something that's based on triple des then then you have have a problem with that key. That key is not considered to be quantum safe. And is that is that just the number of bits in it, or is it is it different underlying underlying? Well, this, well, I'm talking about actually the number of bits that are in the key. Okay. The number of bits that are in the key. But wouldn't uh, a quantum computer that has x plus whatever number of bits make that 
change that statement? Not necessarily, because oh. when you think about it, um, the, the different quantum algorithms, they have different key sizes and, and they have different kinds of, they're based on different math problems that they can solve. And so when you when it comes to using um, the quantum algorithms to break a traditional algorithm, there's two things that are kind of going on. For symmetric algorithms, the issue is brute force attacks. How fast can I find the key? So so there's a quantum algorithm that speeds up search capability. So it's that kind of a thing. It's that kind of attack, if that makes sense. Yeah. So do you see um, quantum machines as a part of the tooling that we're going to use in the future to encrypt data as we go? <laughs> Yes, quantum computers, we will, the, the thing is, we can still use AES 256-bit keys today, and so those will also be available in the quantum computers. Um, the quantum computers will be able to u- be used to solve different kinds of problems, though. So do you think this is uh, the, one of the new areas that we're going to be looking at using Quantum as our encryption decryption engines? I don't think so. I don't think it'll be used for those specific things. I think you'll be looking at other kinds of problems that it will solve, um, some other problems in other areas, not just your data encryption and decryption kind of operations. Some of these schemes that are being designed right now, and this is really kind of a new a new field. Some of the schemes that are being looked at right now by NIST and other organizations are really to take care of the public key kinds of issues that we'll be facing. So some of the schemes are around creating digital signatures so that your digital signature verification and, and, and um, uh, generation. And then you'll have schemes that they're coming up with that deal with key management, with key management kind of operations. I imagine you're, you were here this week for the uh, the Crypto Council. Yes, yes. Um, did, did you present at it or were you just, just taking it in? Well, <laughs> yeah, well yes, actually I, I was presenting at it. I, I had the opportunity to talk about uh, some of the new capabilities that we have um, with the uh, Crypto Express card and also talk about some of the new capabilities that we will are planning for the future. So, yes. I assume you can't tell us about the stuff planning for the future, but can you uh, give us a little tip about like what's what's new, what people can be looking for, looking for? Well, one of the things that's really important for people is they need to be able to exchange keys with partners, and they're not unfortunately always on the Z platform. So when they need to, ex- <gasps> right? That's crazy. Can you believe? Right? People <clears throat> actually do operations outside of the Z platform. For shame. <laughs> But but basically, there are new ways to, to be able to share those keys. So there are new standards that are coming out that give you opportunities or give you methods for sharing key material with um, different partners that are interoperable. And so we'll be implementing some of those kind of things. We have we have some of those things in place already. But as the standards continue to change, we'll be moving in that, that direction. And then also, um, you know, AES um, is being used more and more in banking kind of environments. So in the past, and, and right now, actually, currently, triple DES is king in banking when it comes to protecting banking data. But as we go forward, some of our, um, our business partners and and others are starting to come out with devices that use AES. So you'll be seeing more features coming out that allow you to work with those devices, point-of-sale devices, ATMs that use AES for encryption purposes. 
Do you see uh, homomorphic encryption as something that's going to be a reality? Yes, it will be a reality, but I'm not exactly sure how soon it will be a reality. There's a lot of great research that's being done in that space right now, and there's a lot of work that's being done on some specific use cases. So I believe the guys that are doing the research in that area have identified some um, some use cases that they'll be using uh, homomorphic encryption in. And and when you think about homomorphic encryption, the, the base thing is that you are able to do operations on data while it is still encrypted and get out answers. And that's that's really huge when it comes to privacy because privacy regulations, um, really people want to be forgotten. People want the right to be forgotten. People want their data kept secret. But it's amazing how you can go and search for something online and all of a sudden you get ads for the things that you've been searching about. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so that's of concern to people. That's of concern to people. So basically you're going to be seeing a lot of privacy use cases that, are, that people are looking at as well as others. But that's just one example of where people want to keep data private, but they also want to know information about that data or be able to come up with answers about that data that has been encrypted. You want the best of both worlds. Yes. yes. Yeah. And I just want to hide my secrets from Jeff because, <laughs> you know, the things he would do with the old secrets. Oh. <laughs> uh, we don't normally do this, but we, uh, we have a, a question from the uh, live listening audience. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Mr. Again, Mr. Chad Rigginsrud has a question. He he wants to know um, how does he get your job? <laughs> how does he get my job? Well, if, if 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 Chad is going back to school, if he's going back to school, he would need to really, um, you know, there's there's the the field of, of computer science, and there's this whole area called um, uh, security, you know, cybersecurity, those kind of areas. Um, they provide information about, you know. Uh, data privacy, you know, um, just the different kind of disciplines. Because you think about it, there's two pieces, right? There's the security realm, and you think about security as how how am I going to protect something? How am I going to do, um, you know, keep something safe? Or how am I going to communicate with someone? And then you think about um, more specifically cryptography. Now, cryptography deals with the algorithms that are used to do this kind of protection. So think about it a little step deeper. And in my particular job, I'm not a cryptographer, but I make use of that cryptography to protect data and to protect assets. So I'm kind of sitting there in the middle. There's a brilliant mathematician over here who is the the cryptographer who is working on cryptanalysis and figuring out what algorithms are safe and and how safe are they and, and coming up with new schemes. There's me who sit in the middle and create primitives so that people can build secure protocols using those algorithms. Well, it's good. See, you're you're not the the math geek, and and you're not the paranoid security person. You're just the person that puts them together. Yes, I put them together. I That's help another them. one of those key ceremonies. I yes, <laughs> I saw people coming down the hallway with cake earlier. I wonder. If that's <laughs> I picture there's balloons, but they're key shaped balloons. Uh, yes, that's very yeah. nice. Yeah. That's very nice. Well, we're getting close to the bottom of the hour here. So um, I want to thank you, Anne, for, for joining us. This has been really awesome. And uh, you have any other questions you want to bring in? No, no, I'm, I'm all good. I'm, I'm going to run back to my, com- uh, my office and lock my laptop. <laughs> I feel kind of paranoid right now. <laughs> all right. Well, old man Charlie, run us out. You've been listening to Terminal Talk with Frank and Jeff. 
for questions or comments. Or if you have a topic you'd like to see covered on a future episode, direct all correspondence to contact at terminaltalk.net. That's contact at terminaltalk.net. Until the next time, I'm Charlie Lawrence signing off.